want to welcome you again to Christ Community Church if you're visiting. I know there's some faces I see I, I don't know yet. I'm glad that you're here. Also, it's great to see some folks physically with us in person that we haven't seen for months in person at least, or I haven't. So it's a, it's a blessing. Um, we are going to look this morning at Psalm 77. We are going to spend a few weeks in Psalms of Lament, which is something we have been anticipating doing for some time. Providentially, it's a necessity and a gift from God that we would be planning for that in these times. Again, let me just emphasize, should you have need, and this is not because I fear interruption or anything, but because we don't have nursery, we don't have those things for the littlest ones. Some of you online just need to know this. We want you to be able to come and to be here. And we don't want the reality that we don't have childcare to keep you away. So what we have done, again, there's live streaming out there. We're going to close that curtain so you can focus if you need. Also upstairs in our nursery, we've removed the toys for sanitation, but it's live stream. It's loud. So if a parent wants to just go up there and be kind of away from everything, you can do that. We want you to be present as you're led and able with the people of God. So I just want to mention that. But again, providentially, we had intended to focus on Psalms of Lament during a month in the summer or so after we studied the book of 1 Peter, and that was well before all the pain and the confusion that is swirling around our our world right now, our, our world as in our country, our corner of the world. And so this is very apropos. It's not a reaction, I guess I would say. It's God's design, at least for our local church, to have already intended to talk through things that are complex and dark and to talk about what do we do with pain. That's what we were planning to talk about on this Lord's Day months ago. This morning I will address the dark, complex realities of our day in our country, in our culture. I want you to know I will touch them. Um, I will also seek by God's help to talk about the painful things that happen in our lives and in our homes and in our hearts. You may feel when I'm done speaking this morning, gosh, I can't believe he shared that. Or you may feel, I've got to share this. I want to say I don't care. Um, Pastors get a lot of opinions. I just want to ask you to hear God's word this morning. And that we hear how his word points us to the definitive solution of rescue in Jesus Christ, his cross and resurrection alone. And I want you to know this is kind of a silly statement, but this morning as I finish going through my notes a final time, I honestly feel like the Holy Spirit has written this sermon. I don't know how it all comes together. And this morning was one of those moments as your pastor, I just went, maybe it's unclear. I hope it's not. I think it's crystal clear and it's a cohesive message. Thank you, God. So pray with me and we're going to proceed together. Holy Spirit, would you speak through your word this morning for your glory, for our good in this world, in our homes, in our hearts, in our culture, for for your gospel's proclamation under the ends of the earth. Come, Lord Jesus, come and come quickly. Amen. Amen. Before we stand and read, let me just explain. This is a prayer of lament. We've already sung it, actually. A lament is a prayer in pain that leads to trust. If I gave a working definition, it's not my definition, but a prayer in pain that leads to trust. Laments are necessary. Laments are a critical part of a worshiping community and they're a critical part of a disciple's life. If the Psalms that we sing from 
are the songbook of the covenant people of God. Did you know one third of the Psalms in the Bible are laments? Just use that statistic. That means at least a third of us, probably more than that, are deeply in moments of lament whenever we gather on the Lord's Day. Just take that sort of a statistic thought, parallelism. But actually, all of us have things to lament all the time. Psalm 77 is a song of lament for all of the people of God. We know it's a song because if you look at the beginning, we're told it's written to the choir master according to Jejuthun, like which would be a melody of some song. Just like what we sang has a little note up in the corner where Clinton tells us what melody we're singing. That's what you have the psalmist who is Asaph here saying, this is, the so, this is the melody it's supposed to go with. So for all of us, this lament is for us to sing together. Laments are in the Bible for a reason. Mark Rogup in his book, Dark Clouds, Deep Mercy, says this about the pattern of lament. He says, if you don't have the words, read a psalm of lament aloud. Linger over it. Let it open your heart. Let lament do its work in your life. Allow it to lead you to other aspects of the sacred song of sorrow. Whatever you do, do not stop talking to God. Keep wrestling, keep struggling, keep praying. No one taught you how to cry. Tears are part of what it is to be human. To lament is Christian. I hope you're already in a current state of lament, honestly, for things in your own life as well as for the things swirling around us. I hope that you lament before God more than you opine before other people. I hope. But would God give us words to lament through from this chapter of the Bible? So would you stand with me and let's read Psalm 77 aloud. I will read if you'd listen with me. To the choir master... According to Jejuthun, a psalm of Asaph, I cry aloud to God, aloud to God, and he will hear me. In the day of my trouble, I seek the Lord. In the night, my hand is stretched out without wearying. My soul refuses to be comforted. When I remember God, I moan. When I meditate, my spirit faints. You hold my eyelids open. I'm so troubled that I cannot speak. I consider the days of old, the years long ago. I said, let me remember my song in the night. Let me meditate in my heart. Then my spirit made a diligent search. Will the Lord spurn forever and never again be favorable? Has his steadfast love forever ceased? Are his promises at an end for all time? Has God forgotten to be gracious? Has he in anger shut up his compassion? Then I said, I will appeal to this. To the years of the right hand of the Most High, I will remember the deeds of the Lord. Yes, I will remember the wonders of old. I will ponder all your work, meditate on your mighty deeds. Your way, O God, is holy. What God is great like our God? You're the God who works wonders. You've made known your might among the peoples. You with your arm redeemed your people, the children of Jacob and Joseph. When the waters saw you, O God, when the waters saw you, they were afraid. Indeed, the deep trembled. The clouds poured out water. The skies gave forth thunder. Your arrows flashed on every side. The crash of your thunder was in the whirlwind. Your lightnings lighted up the world. The earth trembled and shook. Your way was through the sea, your path through the great waters, yet your footprints were unseen. You led your people like a flock 
by the hand of Moses and Aaron. This is the word of God. You may be seated. So the lament here starts with, I cry aloud. Notice how personal this lament is. He's, I, me, my trouble, my hand, my soul, my spirit. It's visceral. I cry aloud. Twice in a row in the first sentence, I cry aloud. I cry. Loud tears and cries have resounded from the hearts of some of you. Even in recent months, and you've been kind to allow others to walk with you. But there are many in this room, in this church, who understand verse 1. I cry aloud to God. That's what prayer is. Do you know that? Prayer is not about the exact words. I'll get around to that. Hold that. But it's not about the exact word. It's not about the body's posture. It's not about a time in a church service when we ask you to kneel and pray. A prayer is about the audience. The psalmist cries aloud to God. Prayer is words to God. Those born of spirit will pray to God. Want to pray. Cry aloud. We have access through Jesus who's at the right hand of the Father to pray. We have groans by the Spirit that lead us to pray. And we have a Father who knows what we're going to say before we say them. Prayer is communicating our desperate pleas to God through the Spirit, through Jesus Christ. It takes so much faith to pray a prayer of lament. Do you know that? And maybe that sounds too formal. It takes faith to lament to God. Look at, look at how bold this is, what the psalmist says here. His boldness. I refuse to be comforted, he says. I'm going to cry aloud to God, but I'm not going to let you comfort me, God, because I want to know why you're not already addressing that thing I'm crying out to you about. My soul refuses to be comforted. My spirit faints. The psalmist is picturing himself and us as depressed, exhausted, he says, I stretch out my hand in the night without wearying. I'm exhausted, but I'm not going to stop lifting my hands to you in exasperation. That doesn't stop. I'm not tired of having my hands up because I'm tired of the pain. Verse 3, when I remember God, I moan. I cry aloud with words, but what if I cry so aloud? I, I don't even have words. I'm just moaning. I'm just groaning. And then verse 3 ends with that word, Selah. Stop, pause, think. Do that for a second. Does verse 1 to 3 sound like your spiritual life in a world that is worthy of lament? Does, this, does it look like you? If you pause and think, do you groan sometimes because you have no words? By the Spirit, you groan to the God who knows your need. Do you cry out words? Romans 8 gives us a picture of how all creation is groaning together with the pains of childbirth until now. Not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit, we groan inwardly as we eagerly await adoption of sons, the redemption of our bodies. The Spirit helps us in our weakness, Paul says, for we do not know how to pray as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes with groanings too deep for words. If you are in Christ and you have that living hope that Peter wrote about that we've been looking at, do you know what it is to have your spirit grown to the Father with words that you may not even feel you have access to? 
The spirit groans. So does the psalmist here. So do all the people singing with the psalmist. God is the audience. It's not a performance. It's a broken cry, and it's an appeal to God. I cry aloud. That's the first part of a lament, is I cry aloud. Now look in verse 5. The psalmist says, I consider. Not just a cry about what I immediately feel, but I'm going to think a little bit about this. I'm going to meditate on why I cry out the way I do. The surface has been scratched. There's nothing shallow here. The psalmist goes very deep into the realm of consideration. What is going on that is causing this pain? Verse 4, he's considering it so much, he says, I get no rest. I can't keep my eyelids open. Verse 4. But I would think that the psalmist is saying, I can't keep my eyelids open. It doesn't mean I'm sleeping in peace, though. My eyelids can't stay open, but I can't sleep at night. I look for words, but I'm so troubled I can't speak. So what is it, psalmist? Are you crying aloud with words? Are you just groaning? Do you have no words? Exactly. I'm lamenting. You and I, we can learn from this in our culture in which words fly around without thought. When the psalm says that grief often looks like not speaking. Silence before God. Do you do that? Verse 6, in his meditation, without words, in silence, in sleepless nights, in exhaustion, he says, I tried to remember, I tried to meditate, I tried to consider the good. I, I tried to think about that song in the night. Then my soul made a diligent search. I get the picture personally of the song that he wants to sing at night eludes him. So I search. And that's the third part of a lament. I start to question. Second half of verse 6 through verse 9. This lament becomes very direct. An honest search that may not sound much like faith to you. It may sound a whole lot like doubt. But he says, I question God. In my pain, I question God. I do not question others. I don't just post my opinions for the public to consider what I'm thinking. I don't have answers. I don't have opinions. I have questions of God. That's what the psalmist says. Do you do that ever? You just have questions of God. You don't even share the questions of God with others. You certainly don't try to answer them for the world to know what you're thinking. You just have questions. That's where the psalmist is here. And here's the thing. When it's prayer, no one critiques the questions. Or tells you you're listening to the wrong cultural narrative. Or that you're being irrational. Or that your theology may be off. Listen, all those things may be true. And by God's word, by his spirit among his people, you may in time find out that you were asking the wrong questions. And that's called maturing. But in the moment of lament, in the middle of pain, faith is an emotive outburst of honest questions. And so if you look at the six bold questions here, the answer to all of them are no if we were going to have a theological discussion about every question. Listen to these questions. Will the Lord spurn forever? Will the Lord never again be favorable? Has his steadfast love forever ceased? Are his promises at an end for all time? Has God forgotten to be gracious? How ironic. Last week we looked at the God of all grace. Has he in anger shut up his compassion? Six questions and then Selah. You stop, singer. 
you stop, reader, and you think about these questions. Are his questions off base? I mean, the answer truly, it is no. The answer is no to all of them for those who are the covenant people of God by his grace. But does the the psalmist need to be corrected here? I mean, is, is he a bad believer? A doubting Thomas? A doubting disciple? Here's what I would like to... He's lamenting and God can take it. That's what we have here. In fact, rather than needing to be corrected, I think the psalmist knows that sometimes we need to ask these questions. Reminds me of Peter's words to Jesus. Jesus, to whom else shall we go in our spiral, our descent of broken questions? You have the words of eternal life. So listen, sin wrecks everything. Sin wrecks everything. Sinful people wound others. Sinful systems like the media or like earthly administrations of justice, they are all in a world wrecked by sin. This is the wilderness. We are not at home. And God has given us permission in his word. Actually, he's given us example in his word to cry out in faith with cries that are so burdened they sound off base for a believer to ask. But actually, the questions are rooted in what the psalmist believes is true about God and he's having trouble reconciling that with his pain. Let's keep going. So, so you have, I cry aloud, I consider, and I question What does the psalmist do after peppering God with questions? Verse 10 to 20, I turn. I turn to appeal to God. My perspective begins to change through lament. I turn and I appeal to this, verse 10. I appeal to God's character. So we have some verses there about God's character, like verse 13. What God is a great God like our God? How opposite does that sound like than the questions of verse 6 to 9? He says, your way, O God, is holy. You're set apart. You're different than us. You teach us. You discipline us. You love us. You sustain us very differently than we think you should. Than I would if I were God. What God is like our God? He's so holy and set apart and different. So he meditates on God's character. But then look, verse 11, verse 12, and following all the way to verse 20. He says, I'll appeal to God's works. I'll remember the deeds of the Lord and the wonders of old. I'll ponder your work. I'll meditate on your mighty deeds. What works is he talking about? Well, he could have listed anything, really. He could have gone to creation where God created out of nothing all things that are. But he goes very visibly, very poetically, to the moment of God's powerful rescue that defined the covenant people of God. He goes to the exodus from Egypt. He describes fleeing from Pharaoh and the Egyptians. He describes in glorious wording, I won't read it again, but just we already did, the poetry of all God did to bend creation to rescue his own people from their affliction. Here's what one commentator says. This lament concludes with the ultimate moment that defined the people of God at that point in their history. The ultimate moment that defined their relationship with God. The very moment of power, holy justice, merciful rescue, hearing the cry of the afflicted, and putting them in a new place of promise and hope. That's where he goes. The ultimate moment. 
So where should our prayers of lament always culminate? In the ultimate moment of God's defining rescue for the people of God. Where is our moment of ultimate deliverance as the covenant narrative has gone forward? It's the cross and resurrection of Jesus. Where all of sin for the people of God has been paid. All power to conquer sin and death has been revealed through resurrection. All promise as the ascended Christ is at the right hand of the Father that he will come again to right all wrongs in this world. I want to say this carefully and I'll say it again at the end. If your prayers and your passions lead you to any other ultimate place or action that you want to see happen in the world, you need to repent, Christian, because your prayers are not taking you to the place the Bible wants you to go. You are not going to Jesus and his cross and resurrection if you're going to anywhere else right now for where you want peace. Okay, so this is a lament. That's the, that's the pattern. I cry aloud. I consider, I question, and I turn. Memorize that. Other books will give you different shapes to the Psalms of Lament. You can read all about them all over the place. But these are the four things I'll give you that I would just recommend you might want to memorize. I cry aloud, I consider, I question, and I turn. What's the alternative when you're in pain? I quit. I complain and I judge my Creator and Redeemer. I check out. I rage. I compare other religions might have a different way to address all these things. Or I compare how other people are handling all this pain compared to how I have a better angle of how it should be handled. The alternative is, is, is gross for the people of God. In our pain, we're called to lament. Okay. Here's what I want to do to apply this passage. We're going to go through four different audiences. Won't take long, but I hope that we'll think deeply about how this psalm is for us. So first audience, how does this psalm apply to the psalmist and the original singers? What was going on for them? Well, we know this. We know that in that moment of Israel's history, they are in exile outside of the land. So they are in a place where the promise of a place, a people, and the presence of God appears to be completely broken. We have no safety. We have no place to worship. God, you have broken your promises to us. That's what's going on for the psalmist. Question though, if Asaph is an individual who wrote the psalm, what's going on in his life? I mean, that's a question we should ask. Here's the good news. We do not know. That's important. We do not know. We are not told. Maybe this is a song that the Holy Spirit led Asaph to write simply so the covenant people of God could sing about being in exile. Maybe that's the case. But maybe, maybe Asaph is personally in deep pain. Maybe his pains aren't justifiable and he has a very immature take on what's going on in his life. Maybe it's the consequence of his own sin and he needs to learn a lesson. Maybe he's being irrational. Maybe he read the wrong news scroll for his take on reality. Maybe it was his marriage. Maybe it was his parenting. Maybe it was a vocational trial. We do not know. But what we know, he cries aloud. 
cries aloud to God. He considers, he questions, and he turns to the ultimate moment of definitive rescue. That's what we know. Okay, second audience. How about for us? See, we know in Acts chapter 2, in the first sermon Peter preached, that the promises of God are for us and our children. We know that. That's a great, we say it at every baptism. What a gift. The promise of rescue are for us and our children. But people of God, do you believe that the reality of lament is for you and your family? Do you and your family lament with one another and for one another? Lament is omnicategorical. It's for everything under the sun. It gives words to the people of God. Before COVID-19 hit this spring, we already had it on our calendar. We were going to do a night of lament. Do you recall those announcements? What was that? Well, here was the hope. We were going to have a night in which we shared loss together. And we allowed names to be put, maybe actually names, of what people in this community are grieving. So we could share in the grief with one another and we could biblically lament together. And we weren't able to gather because of the trial at hand. Folks, listen to me. We have experienced in our body, and we are experiencing in our body, tremendous reason for lament with one another. From infertility to loss of babies and wombs, to loss of hopes, to loss of innocence or loss of wholeness because of sin or somebody else's sin, to loss of relationship that has not yet been repaired, to a loss of a job, to a loss of income, to a loss of freedom due to a virus, to, to all sorts of things. And I don't know what a lot of them are. A lot of them I can't say because I touch too close to something confidential. There's so much loss. Lament is for us. For every rock we uncover where there's dead grass beneath or a snake, we need to lament together. For the sick to the stomach over any issue of sin, pain, or disappointment, or relational brokenness. For the depressed who can't sleep, or stay awake, or even feel, we should be lamenting. For the sufferer who's been punched in the gut because of something sudden, whatever it may be, we need to know how to lament with one another. The cost of not knowing how to lament for us is traumatic. Let me just give you five bad alternatives. If we don't know how to lament with one another, we try to fix each other without empathizing and grieving with one another. Or worse, we give happy theological platitudes that are out of context. You know, I know the plans God has for you, plans to prosper and not to harm you. I've just forgotten that that was written to the Israelites in Babylon for 70 years in the middle of exile when they lost everything. And it didn't get better in a whole lifetime. Thirdly, we rebuke bad questions because we feel theologically obligated to correct others. In the moment. In time, yes, but in the moment, we can't even let a person grieve. Fourthly, we declare we know what God's will is in somebody else's pain. Fifthly, we stand at a distance, afraid to enter in, but we sure know how to analyze if we don't know how to be a church that laments personally and collectively, we are going to struggle to be a biblical community of God. Okay, third audience. What about my neighbor? By neighbor, I don't mean each other in this room. I mean my neighbor out there. 
about what is my neighbor crying aloud right now? About what is my neighbor raising their voice in broken pain? We had an elder meeting Monday night and hundreds of people (laughs) marched right here crying aloud in lament. Never mind what we or they actually were thinking. We can't know a heart of an individual. Why they were there personally, they are crying aloud. Our neighbors are crying aloud in our country and in our world. About what is my neighbor stretching out their arms, moaning and refusing to be comforted? Our neighbors in our city, our neighbors in our state, in our country, our neighbors young and old, male and female, black and white, who all reflect the beautiful image of God, are crying out. Whether we want to hear it, like what they're saying, believe, or they're with them crying alongside them, we are hearing murder, injustice, fear, racism, fear, anger, sickness, blame, fear, politics, anger. Just put your ear to the ground. What do we do? How about we lament to God for and with our neighbor? We come alongside their griefs amidst the sin in our world and we offer a biblical paradigm of lament. Who knows if in showing a pathway of lament and you're discerning about it, you may not even agree with what's causing another person to cry out, but if you see that they're crying out and you offer a biblical paradigm about how Christians cry out, Who knows if they don't ask you for a reason for the hope that you have? We lament, we love others, we testify to the gospel. Why are you not angry, but you're concerned? Why are you praying? Why are you not blaming? Why are you trusting that justice will come? Why are you compassionate even if you have a critique? Who knows, Christian, if you lament for and with your neighbor, it may become the most evangelistic, worshipful introduction to the gospel that you have ever been served up as a Christian. Christian, please lament. Lament everything. This is not our home. We are sojourners here. Lament for your neighbors. Lament that George Floyd lost his life while in custody on a video no matter what you think about systemic this or that, it has been played for my children to watch. Lament it. Lament that people are walking the streets of our city and they are saying, this is what I see it as. Racial division, systemic racism, failures of justice. Lament that this world needs a rescuer. Lament that sin wrecks everything and it contaminates how we process it. Lament with sickness in the stomach. Lament death. Lament riots. Lament sorrow. Lament political posturing. Lament leadership failure. Lament injustice. Lament loss of truth in the media's manipulation. Lament that people are searching for hope and haven't found it. Lament that people are accused of racism who are not. Lament that people are still brutally racist. And go on and on and on. Don't stop. Lament with your neighbor. This world is not our home. Things are not right here. And here's the thing. Christians have been needed to lament things in their culture since the beginning of time. Having traveled the world, 
Not a lot, but often I've gone to the same country multiple times. Lament that lepers and sick individuals broken by polio or any other debilitating disease are cast out of societies all across the world. Lament the reality that on continents across the globe, injustice, fear, coups, human trafficking, the caste system, whole regions, political philosophies oppress and deny people who've been made in the image of God. Lament all of it. And if you haven't lamented, stop talking about it. Christian, lament for your neighbor. Sit with a broken, scared, created image-bearing human being. Regardless if their sense of loss feels justified to you. Regardless if it's about a virus. About racism. Or about a comment by a child or a parent at home that's caused a home situation to crumble. Or about a work situation. Lament with your neighbor to God. Let me give a story. I was on a call. I'm on a call with one of the nonprofits I contract with to just be an advisor. At the end of the call, a sister in Christ, who's actually very close in affinity with our denomination from where she went to school and such, so she's a beautiful covenant believer. She has adopted a child. She has five children, I believe. One of her children is African American. And at the end of the call, prayer request time, she broke down crying. She said, I'm so proud of him. Whether he wants to or not, he's navigating things he shouldn't have to navigate. Pressure from all sides for him. And then she said, and by the way, please pray for my 18-year-old who's making some really poor decisions and is quitting school and moving out of the house. You know the irony of it all? Is about 15 feet behind her was a picture on the wall. And I could see it while she was talking through the Zoom call. Picture of her and her recently deceased husband who died two years ago. She's weeping, going through all of it as a single mom. And I'm looking at Psalm 77. That's not fair. Has God forgotten to be gracious? Will the Lord spurn forever and never again be favorable? Has his steadfast love forever ceased? Are his promises at an end for all time? Has God forgotten to be gracious? Has he in anger shut up his compassion forever? And you get to that point, you have to go to the fourth audience. The fourth audience is the Son of Man. What were his last words on the cross but a prayer of lament? From Psalm 22, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? When we looked at the Psalms last summer, Psalm 1 is about the righteous man. Psalm 2 is about that righteous man being the rejected king. Which means all the Psalms, it's helpful to sometimes think about them coming from the lips of Jesus. Think about the six questions in this Psalm coming from the lips of our Savior. Has God forgotten to be gracious? Has he in anger shut up his compassion? Folks, listen to this. That's exactly what he did on the cross. He shut up his compassion and did not rescue his son who suffered your sin's death, my sin's death for us. And Jesus had no compassion from his father in that moment.
but because of the powerful gospel of God set from eternity. He rose from the dead and descended to the right hand of the Father with all things restored. That's the definitive place where we should go in our lament. So I have four charges for you and I'll stop talking. First, I want to ask you to repent before God and he'll receive your prayer. If you have been or are continually led to any other end in your prayer or in your passion, then the spirit of Christ in you shouting, Jesus alone. If you are looking for hope in any other place, you're called to serve your neighbor and be a citizen in this land and care about the things the law of God tells us to care about. But if you are looking for a solution in any other place than the ultimate end of the definitive rescue of God in Christ, you need to repent and turn to Jesus. Second charge, I, I, I want to ask you to pick a situation in your own life and use it to cause you to lament deeply. That's all. A situation in your own life. Third charge, I want to ask you to pick a situation a little further from you. Just a little further from you. Maybe it's in the life of someone in this room here. Somebody who you can tell is going through pain or you don't know exactly what they're going through, but you know that you need to learn how to empathize and lament for them. For example, as I've already mentioned, the regularity that in this church we've experienced infertile families or loss of babies in utero, just lament for those who know that loss. Just lament. In a church where my own family included, many of our families are large with many children who have not known that pain. It's okay. It's not awkward. It's okay. We can lament with one another. Or maybe go further from that. I was at Lowe's shopping yesterday and I didn't do it. I should have. I just saw a couple folks, African-American young adults working there. I thought, I just kind of want to go up and say, I don't know how you feel, but this whole thing has got to cause you to feel so unstable. How are you doing? Just to get outside of myself at one layer and say, what is somebody else lamenting? So that's the third charge. Pick something outside yourself. Finally and fourthly, pick a neighbor unlike you, and I want you to go sit with them and lament with them. A.K.A. evangelism. Oh, the layers of lament that should be normal for us. The pattern of lament that should be worshipful for us. The Savior of lament who was grieved and wounded for us. Would God give us a biblical worldview in which to live in a world of pain until he makes all things right? Let me pray. Father, would you hear us as we cry aloud, as we consider, as we question, and as we turn to you in Jesus, as we now do with the Lord's Supper. I thank you for this intense time in your word. I do pray that you would use it for your glory and our good. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.